Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, August 28th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers, Huai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So Jacob is off today. Yesterday was his birthday. So I say, even though he's not going to listen to this, probably, <laughs> let's all on the count of five say happy birthday, Jacob. Okay. Even you at home. Okay. I thought you were so, going to say, let's all sing happy birthday on count of five. It's like, that would be a bit much, Peter. No, oh, no, no. You used to sing in a band, Chris. You could yeah. sing us on our no. barbershop cartoon. Yeah, yeah, Chris, go, go for it, Chris. All right. No, I'm, I regret bringing this up. Let's just, come on, count to five and let's do this. Okay. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Jacob. Jacob. Oh, <laughs> that was one of the most awkward things we've done on mic, I think. It yeah. Great. It was pretty good. Yeah. And the funny thing is he's never going to listen to it. So well, it's like do, for nobody. We should buy one of those cards that when you open it, it plays an audio <laughs> recording and like dub it with that. So he just opens it, just hears dead voices going, Happy birthday. Maybe our merch, our number one piece of merchandise. 
Yeah. Well, the good news is we're not going to hear any insults from the the book at the end of this episode. So, so, so we at least we have that, guys. At oh, least yeah. we have that. Uh, okay, let's jump into it. Let's talk about what we've been up to. <laughs> uh chris what have you been doing uh i just recorded last night actually a, a new bonus episode of 21st century spielberg with guest alan cerny he's a film writer he used to write for any cool news he's been around for a while uh so yeah the, that's available now there's a link to it in in the notes so go check it out Ben, I, I saw on Instagram that you like went kayaking. Yeah, uh, I mostly have not been leaving my house other than like to get food and essential items um, because of this whole pandemic situation, obviously. But um, my wife and I decided that we needed to get out of the house and we met up with uh, her sister and uh, her sister's husband and went to Silver Springs, which is a... Um, I guess like a tourist attraction in central Florida. It's about an hour and a half away from me here. Um, this is actually the oldest, one of the oldest uh, tourist attractions in Florida. It's been around since like the civil war. <laughs> Basically it's, it's sort of crazy to think about because we were looking up some of the history of it and like, Ulysses S. Grant visited the area in 1880. And like, it, just the idea of, um, of this place being around for this long is kind of nuts. So Silver Springs is like, um, it's very simple. It's like sort of a, uh, I guess a, a very small amusement park kind of area. They have glass bottom boats um, where they do tours and they have, you know, it's sort of like the jungle cruise kind of vibe uh, from like a Disneyland kind of ride where the um, person sort of sails you around on this really crystal clear water and you can see, you know, uh, animals and creatures and stuff like that underneath. And he's doing bad jokes the whole time and all that stuff. So I remember going there as a kid. Um, but yeah, we went uh, this time and um, just rented a couple kayaks and we're out there on the water. And it was just really nice to be outside and like away from people and out there sort of isolated um, out in nature and, you know, not having to worry about um, catching the coronavirus and just being able to like <laughs> exercise and all of that stuff and and you know get a little bit of a workout in while cruising around on this really gorgeous water and um, the weather was really good we thought it was going to rain because it, it's been raining a lot here lately and it uh, the weather turned out great so yeah you can go to my instagram at ben pears and see a couple pictures of what it was like we saw a bunch of different um animals and wildlife and stuff we actually almost ran into a manatee um which is kind of like man, it doesn't get more Florida than that. Like, you know, sailing around on a, on a kayak and, uh, nearly running over a manatee. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Nice little I, experience. I do have to ask you, one of these shots, like, looks like it was like taken up above, like in the air. Like, did you have a drone? Oh no, no, no. That was just on a bridge. Uh, oh, down. okay. Yeah. There's, there's like, uh, all sorts of little hiking paths and stuff around that area. Um, they actually, this guy in, let me see, what year was it in the, uh, late 1930s, I think, um, this guy went to the area and brought, uh, rhesus monkeys with him and thought that he was going to be able to put them on this small <laughs> island in the middle of this river and, um, use it as part of this jungle tour-esque, uh, amusement park sort of situation that he was setting up and he didn't realize that these monkeys knew how to swim so they immediately escaped and just started populating the area around there and there are actually still monkeys in this area from that are like descendants from these ones that he brought um, so they're like around there so my wife and I actually when we were done uh, kayaking went hiking around like looking to see if we could see any of these monkeys in the wild and uh, did not see any but I think we might have heard one like 
cawing in the distance. I don't know. It's it's difficult to uh, to pinpoint, but um, yeah, they filmed some stuff there. Like th- there's this big urban legend that the the monkeys actually um, are descendants of uh, monkeys that were brought in because some of the Tarzan movies and like the 1930s and 40s were filmed there. And people thought like, oh, it's because they brought those there and and some monkeys escaped from the film sets and stuff like that. But that's not actually what happened. But um, yeah, it's, you know, interesting little place. Okay, uh, let's move on to what we've been reading. And Ben, you are the only person that's been reading anything this week. Uh, yeah, I read The Sandman Preludes and Nocturnes, which is a, a trade paperback collection of the first eight issues of um, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which is a, a comic series that you know was published in uh, what the when did it start? The late '80s, I guess. And is is it still going on? HT, I know you're a big Sandman person. Do you know if if Sandman is still being published, or has it like completed its run, or how, what, what's the status of it right now? I actually haven't read the most recent ones, but I know that Neil Gaiman just comes back every couple of years to uh, write more volumes. I don't know if he's particularly finished like the, the run per se, because he can always just come back and do more. So I say I'd say it's still ongoing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed this. I think Jacob and, and HT, I, I'd heard you guys talking about this, um, you know, on, on various podcast episodes over the years. And um, Sandman is just like one of those comics that I feel like is is held in very, very high esteem by um, you know, even people who don't necessarily like uh, obsess over comics, it's like why the last man preacher, you know, like a handful, you, you can count on one hand, the number of comics that people say, like, even if you don't read comics, this is one you should check out. And Sandman, uh, in, in my estimation, anyway, has always been, you know, a- a- among those titles. So I wanted to check this out. And um, after the first eight episodes or eight issues, rather, uh, I'm definitely intrigued. It's, um, it's a little darker than I thought it was going to be. It's, it's kind of a there's like more of a horror vibe in there. There's some pretty, you know, it's about this, um, like the, the Sandman, the embodiment of dreams, like the Lord of dreams and like this guy who controls, um, you know, nightmares and, and rules this dreamscape. And there's some like horrifying stuff in here, like psychological horror where like people, the, the power that he wields is so strong that like, if he wants to, he can essentially like curse you for eternity to like not being able to have a good night's sleep and, and just have like these horrific dreams every night, which is like a, a terrifying thing that um, I don't really think I've seen uh, recently anyway, that idea explored in any sort of media. But um, it's it's like a, a little bit relatable because, you know, we've all had bad dreams and just the idea of like being essentially cursed to um, <laughs> to relive that experience every night is uh, is really like... Um, you know, it sort of cuts you to your core. It's like, oh God, this is like, this is scarier than just, uh, you know, some some generic comic book character. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by the the introduction to the story. It's very much an introduction. So um, I feel like I'm, I am barely, barely scratching the surface here just with these first eight issues. So uh, I look forward to exploring more of it. I'm glad you're reading it, Ben. I, I don't know what pose- what um, sparked this uh, one, this want to read it, but it, it is a really just great uh, and often disturbing series. I don't recommend reading it before bed because I have gotten lots of weird dreams reading them right beforehand <laughs> and sometimes some nightmares. Um, look forward, or maybe don't look forward to the 24-hour diner um, volume because it's- Oh yeah, I read that. That one That one was in this first to eight issues and it was uh, <laughs> got pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, one of the most disturbing things I've ever read in comic book form. Okay, I'm going to say something really controversial here. 
First off, before I say it, I'm going to say that I've read more comic books than I think 90% of people listening to this probably have. So it's not like I'm like a general person who doesn't read comics. I have, you know, bookshelves full of comics. But um, I don't know. I, I tried to read Sandman and I had trouble getting into it because of the art, it, which is a, a problem I had also with Watchmen. But I, you know, I got through that. Um, I don't know, like the art in the early issues of Sandman, like it's just so not my my taste or not my like it feels like so simple. I mean, I guess that's I mean, it all comes down to aesthetics. That's a big reason yeah. why I don't watch any of the the Star Wars animated stuff is I just don't like the way it looks on like a fundamental level. It does not uh, appeal to me visually. So I know that like, you know, you and several other people have been like, oh, my God, like some of these storylines and story arcs are like incredible, yeah. you know, storytelling that deserve to be. Um, you know, discussed in the same tones as like some of the, you know, the best stuff in the franchise. And I just can't, I can't force myself to do it. So I, I totally understand the idea of like you being someone who, who, uh, you know, appreciates um, a good story well told and then yet still having this barrier that you just can't overcome, even though you know that it's probably worth it for the story that you would get on the other side of it, but just like aesthetically, you can't do it. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I can understand that too because wow, I, like I was expecting style. you guys to gang up on me on this one. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I I think everyone has their preferences with aesthetics and with um, art style, and um, I say the art style for me in, in early early salmon at least isn't my favorite because it's just very much couched in that '80s uh, comic book art style, um, and um, it does kind of I think evolve throughout the years, but at least the first two. Uh, volumes maybe first three volumes are very much in that same style but um I just really love the story and I love Gaiman's like one of my favorite authors so I um I, I overcame it for that <laughs> yeah he's good I I think he released like like these absolute versions where the the art style is a little bit fixed up a little bit more I don't know I could be wrong maybe the coloring is fixed up I don't know I I I gotta give it a try one of these days again uh but okay let's move on to what we've been watching uh, a bunch of us have been watching Class Action Park. Uh, that's a new documentary on HBO Max. You might recognize the name of this movie because there was a short documentary of the same name that was on YouTube. And it was directed by the same guy, Seth, uh, who is a friend of mine. I've been to the Magic Castle with him. So all the disclaimers put out front there. Uh, you know, I... I wrote to Star Wars Rise of the Resistance with them in Florida. So I, I, I'm very friendly with uh, Seth, one of the, the two directors of this. Um, the, uh, you know, okay, this movie is about this water park. Well, I guess it's more than a water park, but it's primarily kind of known for its water park because that's the majority of it. That uh, was located within driving distance outside of New York City. And it was in the 80s. It was kind of like this very edgy water park. Actually, the that Johnny Knoxville movie that no one saw. What was that called? That uh, it was kind of it was loosely based on Action Park. I'll look it up. You can take yeah. action, action point. Yeah. Action point. <laughs> it's funny that they, they didn't get the rights to the name. I don't know. Uh, okay. Anyways, uh, th so that was loosely based on this. And so basically this water park had all these really kind of insane water slides. Like one of the, the, the most famous of which is this water slide where you basically do a loop-de-loop -loop 
like you do in a roller coaster, but it is a tube water slide. And uh, it's a place where many people got hurt. Too many that uh, there actually isn't records to account for how many people actually got hurt. Uh, People have died. Uh, This documentary is fascinating because it's not just about like how crazy and uh, insane this water park was. And like, how did this exist? And how did this guy? It's about this guy and how, you know, the story behind it, how he was able to create it and how local government was able to protect it from you know from going down uh, uh I, I mean i guess it did eventually but it, it uh there's trump connection there uh you know i was really skeptical i'll be I'll, I'll admit i was really skeptical because i had seen the short film on youtube which i liked uh which i think was under 30 minutes or something like that and i was like you know how much more can you like expand this to but they they have a lot of interesting stuff here they have like uh, some phone tapes that like people didn't know they were being recorded. Uh, they, they put in some animations to kind of like uh, show you when they don't have like the actual footage, vintage footage of like what things were kind of like. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's, 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 in, it's interesting because, for the majority of this movie, I was enjoying it. It's kind of about, you know, it's all fun and games and you hear kind of like, Oh yeah, some people were hurt. And you you even hear in in passing, some people die. It it died in this park. Uh, But it's kind of like, you're amused at like, how did this thing exist? And why were people excited to go here? And stuff like that until like, I think the end of the documentary, it kind of gets into the story of, of someone who actually lost someone in an action park. And it kind of makes you feel shitty for enjoying the movie. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it kind of takes a, a, a quick turn. Uh, I know a bunch of you guys saw this. Uh, ben, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, and I think Chris talked about this recently and I, I don't remember Chris. So please forgive me if I'm like repeating the exact points that you've already made on this podcast episode or, or on this podcast before, but um yeah, I think that that was my biggest problem with the the film, Peter, was the way that it ends because um, it does uh, it, it it follows the family of um, or, or it, it concentrates on the family of uh, somebody who died in Action Park, and it's sort of like it takes all of the um, all of the uh, you know sort of like voyeuristic fun out of watching it because it, it slams down the reality of like this is actually you know, this is what that fun means, you know, like the, the, um, this is the cost of that was this person lost their life and this family, uh, was forever shattered because of it. And then the movie doesn't seem to know how to end. It's almost like the, the directors structured the film in such a way where like, okay, we're going to have fun with this for the first, you know, two thirds. And then the final third, we're actually going to hammer home the consequences of, you know, the, the insanity of this park. And then they edited it together that way and then thought that it ended on too much of a downer note and decided, okay, let's actually just sprinkle some more of the fun stuff back in at the very end. And so the <laughs> result is like this bizarre thing. It's almost like a roller coaster ride, like uh, funnily enough, you know, considering the, the subject matter um, where, you know, you, you go on these highs and lows throughout this experience. And then at the very end, it's just sort of like, uh, just like, goes completely off the rails because the tone is all over the place. And it's like the the filmmakers and storytellers have no idea how to actually wrap this up in a satisfying way because th- there's not really a satisfying end to the story. There's no real good way to grapple with this stuff. Um, 
and, and to and to uh, coalesce the idea of like having fun while looking back and and reminiscing about this while also dealing with the very real uh, t- tragic consequences of it. So yeah, um, the, the end of the movie has people speaking of the nostalgia that they have for this theme park or this water park that they went to as a kid in the eighties mixed with a drone shot pulling up from the family visiting their the, the grave of someone yeah. who is not it, it's so weird it's so i don't know yeah uh chris what did you think of action park or class action park uh yeah i'm pretty much like on the same page as you guys <laughs> i liked it for the most part i do think it's kind of um lackluster in quality like it's 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 probably like one of the the least well-directed documentaries i've ever seen um like the the footage they use is is so like degraded and crappy that they might as well have not have used it uh the animation they use to fill in the blanks is is like laughably bad and i like the animation i didn't mind i didn't mind the animation either no it's terrible i I like like like, like, there's like one bit where they're showing like you know there's that uh loop water slide thing and they have some footage of that but not really anything so there's one point where they kind of show you that in animated form where you can actually see like an x-ray like uh yeah like a cross section yeah yeah and you see what happens when someone actually goes in that loop and how they like get hurt and stuff i don't know i thought that was okay go on i'm sorry i mean I, i i liked it for the most part but I think it it just has like tone problems. That that ending yeah. is like bizarre to me because the whole thing is just devoted to how uh, the guy who owned the park's name was Gene. How just he was basically just like a monster. And then like the last five minutes, they're like, you know, I talked to Gene near the end of his life, and he wasn't such a bad guy. It's like, uh, I don't. I was like, I just watched the movie. I'm pretty sure he was a bad guy. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't understand why they added that weird like coda at the end. And like, uh, what's his name? Chris Gerhart that that stayed up. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot, and he spends like the whole movie talking about it's just what a nightmare the park is. And even he at the end is just like, you know what? Gene was a was like a, a badass radical. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like you, you all just spent the entire movie talking about what a, a monster this guy was and how his park killed like six people. And then like the last, like it's literally like the last three minutes. They're just like, eh, he wasn't such a bad guy. And I was yeah, like, it's, it's very strange to watch because, and especially because they make the Donald, the Donald Trump connection so explicit. And like, they talk a lot about how Gene just like, refused to pay bills and like bullied the government into like buying this land and and you know all of this like criminal activity that he did and he basically like got away with it because he was like a brash personality and whatever like the the idea that they would end that way almost like um the the movie seems to glorify behavior that we associate with trump now and (laughs) that has gotten us in this terrible situation and it's like what a weird choice for them to do that after, you know, making a, a movie that didn't have to go in that direction. It was just such a, such a self own, I thought at the very end of the movie, but um, overall, I think there's enough here to, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely entertaining. It's definitely like, I, you know, my wife and I watched it and there, there are several scenes where we were both just like, Oh, we couldn't believe how like yeah. shocking some of this stuff was, but that, that ending, it, it's just so weird. I, like, I just don't <laughs> understand what happened. Yeah. You know something else that's strange, and I would also recommend seeing this. Um, 
But I think this might be the first documentary. Correct me if I'm wrong. This first documentary that the director is one of the interviewees that is being interviewed, like the the talking head segments, like, and he's being interviewed, and it doesn't say director of this movie; it right. says journalist, and, and that's my friend Seth, uh, which he is a journalist. That's you know how I've hung, got to know him, and you know that's how I was in Florida, you know, covering a Disneyland event with him. Uh, so it's not like inaccurate, but like, have you ever seen that before, where like the director of the movie? Because I, I guess in that scenario, you get to like, if you don't get the interviews, the, the if you don't get the sound bites that you want, right? If you're the, if you're the interview, you could just put them in there as a journalist. I, I, I was um, I was I was debating whether or not to bring this up, Peter, because I didn't know yeah. that you knew that guy, and I I think I was gonna say it anyway, just as an yeah. aside. But um, yeah, that that struck me as very very strange because it did seem like because they didn't put on screen that he was one of the directors. I just happened to notice it because I read the director's name, before, you know, as that showed up in the credits, and I was like, huh, that name seems familiar. I'm pretty sure that guy's one of the directors. And then he is also like one of the least um, authentic performers on camera. You can tell that like um, Chris uh, Gethard and and some of the other people, you know, they're just like sort of going off the cuff based on their own memories. And uh, Seth is sort of like, you can tell he's like leaning forward in his seat and he's not like um, speaking naturally. He's, he's almost reading I will say- lines off of script or something. And it's like, he's filling in the gaps that he didn't get. Like you mentioned. I will say he speaks like that in normal life. So I, I can totally <laughs> see why you think like he was reading lines. And that that is my hesitation here that like you could have like a director just, you know, filling in the gaps that he needs to complete the, the, the right. movie. I don't know. Yeah, it is just weird. But uh, I mean, aside from a, uh, like a documentary director being the host, like a Michael Moore kind of thing, like has that ever happened before? I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, not that I can think of off yeah. the top of my head, but yeah. But uh, all three of us, I guess, would still recommend this, even though we have some hesitations on the tone. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about Tread. Uh, Chris, you saw this one. Oh, yeah. Both Ben and I watched this. I I watched it a few days ago, and I think Ben has it all part of his quarantine stream. And um, this is a true story. And I had never heard of this story, which seems insane when you watch it. But it's basically about this guy who was he lived in a small town in in the Rockies and he was convinced the you know the the town elders the powers that be the mayor and the the local newspaper and all this stuff were, were out to get him and his solution was to buy a bulldozer and retrofit it as like this monstrosity I don't it's almost like a tank but it, it looks like something from like a weird futuristic movie and he drove it all over town, just destroying the buildings of the people uh, he he had a, a grudge against. And and spoiler alert, he eventually died. But um, uh, it's a it's a really interesting doc because the first half of the doc makes it seem like it's it's sympathetic to this guy, and it, it presents the story from his point of view because he recorded a bunch of um audio stuff just uh like his his manifesto if you will and so the the first half of the movie is just all from his point of view and it, ma- it makes you not understand why he did what he did but sort of like empathize and then the second half of the movie it points out that like he's just like a lunatic and the stuff that you know the perceived slights pro- that he thought were coming from these people probably didn't happen and he was just sort of like this deranged lonely guy he's basically a 
you know, if he had lived, he would have definitely voted for Donald Trump. Let's put it that way. So it's just a really interesting doc. And the, the last half of the movie, the filmmaker uh, stages these really elaborate reenactments where they reenact the destruction and they couple it with actual footage of, of real destruction. So it's just a really interesting doc, but it's, it's shocking that I honestly had never heard of this story. And you think like a man who built a bulldozer and used it to destroy almost an entire town would be something we all really know about. But I, I, you know, my wife hadn't heard of this story. You know, none of us have heard of it. Yeah. Jacob um, saw this at South by Southwest uh, a few years ago. And I remember uh, him writing about it and um, just waiting for this movie to be easily accessible. And it's on Netflix right now, which is how I watched it. And um, I I'm, the, the movie explains why it is that you have never heard about this. And I guess we won't, I won't spoil that just in case people are, um, are wanting to watch it for themselves. But um, yeah, I, I totally agree, Chris. I think this is like a fascinating piece of work. I think, um, you know, to me, like the, the tank stuff is like the hook, like the, the fact that you're, you know, you're going to see footage of this guy destroying this town. Um, but the movie itself is all about perception and the idea of like, um, you know, this guy just going through life, believing that he has this, uh, you know, that he's being persecuted. Um, and, and the movie just sort of like, uh, going along with him for the first half and then completely flipping things and, and painting what the movie depicts to be the real story in its second half. And I'm, I'm not fully convinced that, you know, these, um, small town people uh, who are, you know, have been living in this town for years and years and who are like part of the, the wealthy establishment. Um, I'm not quite convinced that they are as, um, you know, uh, innocent. Yeah, innocent as this movie sort of makes them out to be because the, the film sort of takes the stance of like, well, the, the crazy guy is indeed crazy and these people are all blameless in this whole affair. And I, I would like to, I, I'm pretty sure that um, <laughs> that it's, you know, there's more gray in the scenario than that, that, that these guys actually may have done a, a few of the, the little slights that the, <laughs> the Marvin, the, the crazy tank guy um, thinks, you know, I, I feel like there, there's a, a middle ground in there somewhere. So um, the movie is not necessarily interested in, in getting to the truth of exactly what happened. It's just interested in, um, in playing with perspective in an interesting way and, and the idea of perception and, and um, persecution and like, um, you know, what, what uh, a person can do when they're uh, when they believe that they're righteously called to um, to like enact revenge in the most ridiculous way possible. So uh, there's a, a lot to chew on with this movie, and it sort of made me feel bad to watch it because of like how uh, how rotten you know some of these ideas are. Um, but I, I think ultimately it's it's like worth watching just for like the crazy, how the hell did I never hear about this uh, aspect of it? And the, the actual footage. And like you mentioned, those recreations at the very end are like super, super impressive. I've, I spent a lot of time being like, how in the hell did he do this at the very end? And I, I still have yet to read up on exactly how he achieved that stuff. But from like a pure filmmaking per, uh, perspective at the very end of the movie, um, it's yeah, just really impressive stuff. So it's called tread and it's on Netflix right now. Can you imagine if Class Action Park had had uh, like dramatic reenactments of these things? <laughs> I feel like that would have made us feel 
bad earlier and it made it i don't know it would make that feel uh, the, the whole film feel like completely different because i feel like the cartoony nature of those animations yeah make it so that you especially yeah okay anyways i'm sorry to bring it back to that uh chris what else have you been watching this week uh i watched i'm thinking of ending things which is the new charlie coffin movie coming to netflix next month and uh, there, my review of it is up on, on SlashFilm.com. And I really, really like this. This is like one of my favorite movies of the year. Not that, you know, there's been a lot of movies this year. But um, I, I won't give too much away because a lot of this movie depends on you really not understanding what's going on. Because it's a very surreal and dreamlike movie. But um, it stars Jesse Buckley as uh, this woman who is going to meet her boyfriend's parents after they've been dating for about six weeks. Uh, the boyfriend is played by uh, Jesse Plemons and the parents are played by David Lewis and Tony Collette. And the whole ride there, we keep just hearing her thought processes and she just uh, keeps thinking all the, all this very weird and surreal and poetic stuff. And then they get to the farmhouse where the parents live and, and things get even weirder from there. And uh, this is just very strange, very wonderful. Um, I read the book it was based on, and I actually like this more than the book. It It's pretty faithful to the book, but it, it takes what the book did and, and goes even further with it. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but this is a, a really interesting movie um it's a very it's very much a charlie coffin movie so if you've seen his other films you're you know what you're getting into but uh this is i think like one of my favorite things he he's done oh really so yeah. where does this place on like the charlie kaufman scale of weirdness i mean it, it's in terms of him directing i i mean it's definitely probably like one of the weirdest things he's ever directed which which says a lot um <laughs> so so if you know if you have a very low tolerance for for weirdness <laughs> this movie is not for you but if you're in the mood for something strange and, and surreal um, I, I can't recommend this enough. And you went back to the movie theater. I did. So uh, as I'm sure everyone knows by now, Tenet has opened across the you know, overseas and it's slowly rolling out in America next week where, where it can. So uh, little by little screenings have been popping up and uh, there was a screening in, in my area. And by my area, I mean, um, 40 minutes away from where I live. I live in, in Southern New Jersey. The screening was in Pennsylvania. So I had to, I had to leave the state to go see it. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, so going back to the movies was very, very odd just because I haven't been there in, in months as I'm sure is true for most people. And I there were only hear, a few people in your theater, right, Chris? Yeah. There were about four or five people total. It was a critic screening. So there were about four or five people total, um, of course there was one guy who was just loud and complaining about masks. So I immediately was just like, Oh, I didn't miss this at all. But, um, <laughs> it, it's just weird to be back in a movie theater and have to wear a mask through a whole movie. Um, which is, you know, I, I don't think any one of us are, are used to doing something like that. Um, as for the film itself, Tenet, it's, it's good. Uh, it's definitely not worth dying for. So please don't risk your life to go see Tenet. Uh, no movie. Wait, 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 Chris, is any movie worth dying for? Um, I'm thinking. Let's think. Uh, <laughs> because I like how you say that. Like that's an option. That's like. Yeah, uh, I mean, there... I don't know. Maybe mm, no. Welcome no. to Marwin. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Marwin. Yeah, if you want to risk your life to go see Steve Carell and his dolls, then yeah, 
by all means. But beyond that, it's it's not worth uh, risking your life for. If if you think you can see this somewhere safely, um, then do that. But don't you know? Don't go out of your way like I did. Um, but it's it's fine. It's an entertaining movie. Um, it's not my. I, I'm a I'm a Nolan fan. I like Christopher Nolan. I know he has his detractors, and I don't even disagree with the criticisms lobbied against him. I do think he has some of some flaws, but I do tend to like what he's doing most of the time. And this movie is just, it's too muddled for its own good. And I'm not someone who thinks his movies are that confusing. I know that's sort of a thing that follows him around, especially in movies like inception. People are just like, I don't know what was going on, but I never have ever had that problem <laughs> with his movies. But this movie, there were a lot of times where I was just like, what the fuck? is going on in this movie. I can't, I can't follow some of this stuff. Um, so the, the script is a bit messy, um, but the action is, is phenomenal. This is like some of the best action I've seen on screen, like ever. I'm, I'm talking like, uh, even though it's not the same kind of action, but uh, if you remember like when the matrix came out and everyone saw the matrix and everyone was just like, Holy shit, we've never seen action like this before. That's kind of how I felt watching the action scenes in this movie. They're just really interesting and, and different. And um, it's definitely the best action Nolan has ever directed. So uh, from that point of view, it's, it's, it's worth seeing, but um, if you're, you know, plot wise, it's, it's a little, a little messy. Huh. I, I talked to someone who else who had seen this and they said, they expressed to me that they think this is a movie that will reward a second viewing. Yeah, I definitely agree with this. Um, I don't, you know, I doubt I'm going to see it again in theaters. Um, but I do uh, want to watch it again you know, in the, from the safety of my own home and try and see if I can decipher some of the things that I found very, <laughs> very impenetrable during that first watch. I took, uh, I, you know, I always take notes when I go to a screening for something I'm going to write about. But um, I took like a lot of notes during this, like page after page. And a lot of those notes are, are, uh, they end with like a million question marks. Like what is, this? <laughs> no, I, I have to go over my notes before I write this up. Uh, okay. So in, in this movie theater, it was just press in the, in the theater with you. Yeah, it was press. We were all spread out. Um, we all kept our masks on. I think I didn't actually pay it. I hope we all kept our masks on. I kept my mask on. I'll put it that way. Um, and it, it, it's, it's interesting because now they have like, you know, when you go to the movies, they have, you know, those on-screen advertisements for stuff where it's like, go to the lobby and get a soda. And now they have ones where it's like, don't forget to put your mask on. And while that's, you know, a good message and while it, it you know, I'm glad they're saying it, it's just very surreal to be living in this world <laughs> where they had to like record that message. And it's like, they, they found the woman who does the, they, you know, they brought back the woman who does all the AMC announcements. Who's like, yeah, don't forget to turn off your phones. And now it's her saying, don't forget to, not breathe on people. So it's just, it's very, it's very, it's very weird to be living in this world where nothing seems to be getting better and we're all just having to accept it. Yeah. I've been going to like uh not theme park, but theme park adjacent. So like universal city walk or actually Knott's Berry farm. And they have like every like five or 10 minutes over the loudspeakers, they have these announcements and it really feels like you're in a dystopian, like sci-fi movie. Yeah. Where... It, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's again, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a bad message because I want people to have this hammered into their heads that keep your mask on. But the fact that we've, it's, you know, we've gone <laughs> from not having anything like that at all to having that be the new normal is very, very odd. 
Okay, one last question about this, Chris. Now that you've been back to the movie theater, does that make you less excited to get back there again to see something? Or, like, are you more accepting to, like, the idea of going back to the theater during this, you know, quote-unquote unprecedented time? It's it's really hard to say. I mean, there was a part of me that was like, oh, it's cool to be back seeing something on the big screen. But, you know, at the same time, it's, you know, I the entire time I could not I could not tune out the real world. Let me put it that way. Like when I watch movies, I like to be distracted from, you know, life. And the entire time in the back of my head, I always had this like nagging thing in my head where it's like, I'm wearing a mask in a theater for two and a half hours. I'm like, I could not, not think about that. So it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's very weird. Uh, that sucks. Okay, well, so so you're saying I shouldn't drive to Las Vegas to see this this coming week? I mean, didn't, if you already bought the tickets, you probably <laughs> yeah, should. yeah, <laughs> but, we, we 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 already booked the theater, so it's it's I happening. Mean, but I mean, that sounds like a fun trip. I guess you could do other <laughs> stuff there. You go into the desert and I don't know, take take acid like Tony Soprano. You know, do do some fun <laughs> stuff while you're there. Have some fun. I, I've heard like the the casinos, like people are just like blatantly not following the rules and like not wearing masks and stuff. So I don't feel like I'm going to be doing that while I'm there. Yeah. But uh, we have plans to go to like a dinner on an outside patio and uh, do top golf, which I've always wanted to do. So there you go. I mean, yeah, gonna... that sounds like a fun trip overall. And you're going with like friends and stuff, right? So that's yeah. that's, that's I'm sure like even if you don't <laughs> love the movie, you'll like the experience. Okay, uh, Brad. What have you been watching this week? I'm to watching The King of Staten Island. Um, I never went out of my way to watch the premium VOD only because, uh, I don't know, it's just like, obviously I pay, you know, $10, uh, you know, a ticket roughly in my area to go see a movie. But for whatever reason, it was just hard to like pay that much for a an at-home rental when I didn't get to keep it. So I ended up just waiting until uh, it came out on on home video. I actually had like a, a little uh, promotional package sent to me by Universal, and the movie was part of it. So I watched it uh, with my parents and my girlfriend, and uh, I really loved this movie. Um, I think that Pete Davidson is great in it, and I had read a lot of, um, re- I mean, not a lot of reviews, but I read some reviews, and I, I think even Chris said this too that felt like Pete Davidson um, his range was limited and for the more emotional parts of the movie even though he, he's funny in it and i actually felt like it was actually a pretty genuine um portrayal of how maybe he deals with his emotions a little bit more reserved and like it felt like he was holding back you know just because of how his character is and since his character is you know kind of inspired by himself in some ways i, I it felt just felt to me that it wasn't so much that he was limited in his range but that he was intentionally holding back because that's just how um, his character was. But this, this movie is so funny. If there's one thing that I wish that it had more of, it's Belle Powley, who is awesome in this movie. Uh, she, she plays uh, Pete Davidson's kind of casual hookup who clearly wants to be you know more and have a relationship. Um, and she's awesome in it. And I, I wish there was just more of her in it. But uh, you know, uh, Bill Burr is great in it. Um, Marissa Tomei. And it's, uh, yeah, I just, I just really like that. I think that's one of... Judd Apatow's more, uh, I guess, mature uh, movies. It it, uh, it doesn't feel so much like they're always going for just making funny jokes. It felt like it had you know a a really grounded um, you know character story here for for Pete Davidson, uh, and I really appreciated that. 
I'm going to have to check this out. I, I think I also got this sent to me, and I've been kind of avoiding paying, you know, that premium VOD price. Like, it, it feels ridiculous to pay that at home. Well, I'm the sucker who paid for that premium VOD <laughs> Staten Island, King of Staten Island, and I thought it was worth it. I really enjoyed this movie, so I'm glad that you yeah, liked for it sure. too, Brad. Um, something that <laughs> I, I did and actually end up feeling compelled to pay the premium VOD price for, and I uh, mostly because... I also use the excuse to buy the first two movies um, on digital as well, is Bill and Ted Face the Music, which just came out today. Uh, it's available on premium VOD, and it's available in select theaters and also at drive-ins. And man, I, I against all odds, this movie is so fun and just so lighthearted, and it really is just great. It just has this infectious, positive energy. And even though like there's a little bit of a, like a weirdness that comes from the fact that Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves have aged so much since those movies that sometimes some of their antics feel a little bit odd, but they're just so on board for like doing anything in this movie and the different versions that they play of themselves uh, in the future are, are all hilarious. There's some amazing makeup done on them to age them and make them look drastically different you know, in different phases of their, their life in the future. Uh, there's a great supporting cast here. Um, I can't say enough um, about just how, great um the two actresses are that pay, play bill and ted's daughters it's uh samara, samara weaving um and also um oh what is her name i'm totally ble- yes yes yeah, thank you um they both play bill and ted's daughters and they're they're awesome i they have essentially their their own adventure in this movie too but it it made me you know think about how i wouldn't mind if they gave them you know, their own kind of spinoff as well and see if they could keep the franchise going. I'm sure that since it was a miracle that this movie even got made, I doubt that that will happen. Um, especially since I'm sure the box office won't be that big for this movie simply because of how the situation is right now with, with theaters and people not wanting to pay a lot for a premium VOD like we just discussed. But this, this movie is so fun. Anthony Kerrigan um, from Barry is also in it. And uh, the funny thing is, um, I remember HT saying something about how good he was in the movie, but I forgot who uh, she said he played. So the entire movie, I was waiting for him to show up, and then I realized who he was playing. And I won't say it just in case people want to have a similar experience and they don't know who he's playing in the movie. Uh, but he's also fantastic in, in his uh, supporting part. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm so surprised how much I really like this movie. And it just it just has its heart in the right place. Um, and there's even, like, there's there are genuinely touching moments uh, for, for Bill and Ted. You know, obviously they're... They're portrayed as these dim-witted, goofy characters, but the way that they deal with themselves and their life path actually has some resonance because obviously it's a silly idea that these two are tasked with writing a song that's supposed to unite the world and save reality. But it, at the core of this movie, it's kind of about just like coming to terms with like themselves and like being comfortable with who they are in their life, regardless of these high sci-fi stakes. And I, I just really appreciated that. HT, you also saw this movie. I did. I wrote a review for it on Slash Film, and I really, really liked this movie. I had this just wide beaming smile the entire time I was watching it. It's such a little beam of light in this dark, dark year that we've had. And I feel like it's just so necessary, even though it feels like it's a movie that could be a relic of the 90s and of that sort of silly, dopey weird surrealist comedy that can only come from people who were really young and really high but I think it's it works so well and it just feels just so wholesome 
you know, even though it, you know, it mm. has a PG-13 rating, but I feel like it just doesn't even need that just because it, it is such a good-hearted and, and it maintains that, that feel-good legacy of the first two movies. And it's just as weird and, and, uh, and it's often trippy as the first two are maybe not quite as trippy as uh bonkers journey but i really liked bonkers journey oh bogus journey bogus journey sorry (laughs) i mean it's quite bonkers it is bonkers it's bonkers it's a bonkers bogus journey (laughs) whoops don't hate me guys it's been a long day anyways i i I just i really liked um uh, face the music and i think it's just it's such a it's such a fun sweet comedy it's nice core to its um to its you know at, at the core at the <laughs> nice core at the, at the core i can't talk today i'm sorry <laughs> anyways i really like <laughs> um anthony kerrigan is a scene stealer my god i loved his character so much and was every every line that he delivered is just so gut-bustingly funny and um i think his character will be up there with uh william sadler's death as just being one of the weirdest and funniest things to come out of this franchise Really? Okay. Uh, I do have one question for both of you. I do feel like when you see a movie at home and you don't have to pay the money to go to the movie theater and see, you know, you know, do that whole thing, find parking, get popcorn, all that stuff. Like there's less of expectations put on the movie. And I feel like you can, I guess, maybe enjoy something more. When you're just like, you know, clicking a button on, on your Apple TV or Roku or whatever. So I, I guess my question to you is like, is would this have been a good movie if you had seen it in the, the movie theater? Or like, is this is it because the expectations of like you're just getting to watch this at home? I, I guess I'm skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> I actually think I would enjoy this even more in okay. a group setting because I think that a comedy, especially like this, would benefit from just having the crowd react and everything like that. Um, and, you know, I actually kind of have the opposite experience, I think, when I'm watching movies on my laptop at home um, where, you know, sometimes maybe your your attention will wander or sometimes there isn't um, – I, I, I don't think it has to do with expectations. I think you're just like, oh, it's something that – you. I guess watching something from home, I can kind of get into that feeling like I don't have to pay attention as much um, and it can become like background noise if I don't if I don't pay attention a, a, enough. But um, I think movies that are able to break through that barrier are um, even better, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yes, I, I really enjoyed Bill and Ted Face the Music and um, – I think that it's actually it's it's a very cheesy movie, and I do think that um, it's kind of the equivalent of you know uh, Pharrell's if saying like Pharrell's song "Happy" was able to save the world. It's it's incredibly cheesy, but it's all about <laughs> shared creativity and that shared um, love for something that can bring pe- people together and unify people. And it's it's such a a wonderful message to share. Well, I love Bill and Ted, so I'm I'm excited to finally see this thing. And where's this available? It's yeah, on Premium, premium VOD, Limited premium Theaters, VOD. and Drive-ins. Okay, uh, Brad, what uh, else have you been watching? The third season of AP Bio. Uh, this is a comedy series that started on NBC, and that's where the first two seasons aired. But now it's shifting over to Peacock, which is NBC Universal streaming service. Um, it's created by Mike O'Brien, who also executive produces with Seth Meyers, both of Saturday Night Live fame. 
Uh, it stars uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before, but just to refresh, he uh, he plays a disgraced Harvard professor who loses out on a job to his academic rival. And so he decides to, um, or he's forced to go back to his hometown of Toledo, Ohio, and he has to teach an AP um, biology class at his old high school. But rather than actually teaching them anything, he decides to use them to help get revenge on his rival. Um, and that's the first season. But the second season evolves a little bit because he gets a little bit more caught, caught up in the small town antics of Toledo and starts to just get petty revenge on other people as opposed to only trying to further his career and escape back out of Toledo. And the third season takes that uh, even further where it's it's not so much about his career. There are a couple episodes that are dedicated to him trying to enact these schemes to benefit him uh, to get a new job that kind of will help him get out of this high school setting. But there's even more petty revenge and you get to spend a lot more time with the students in the class, which are like, it's a huge reason why this show is so funny and why I love it so much. Every single student in this show is hilarious in their own way. And they bring such like weird, quirky, oddball comedy to the show that I, that I love it. And then you have Pat Oswalt and Paula Pell who are playing the principal and the school secretary respectively. Uh, and they, you know, add even more to it. And it's like, it's kind of like this high school version of 30 rock where it, but it, obviously it's not set in like a showbiz world, but it has that kind of absurd comedy quality to it. Um, and this, the season gets weirder than the previous two. And it just, it has so many just strange ideas and the, it's just, I, I love it so much. It's, it's one of the best shows that I think a lot of people probably don't know about. So um, this is one of the main reasons, if not the only reason right now that you should go download Peacock because Peacock is a free streaming service. It's free with ads. Uh, and the first two seasons of AP Bio are on it right now. And the second season or the third season is coming to Peacock next week. By the way, I haven't watched Peacock, so I don't know how this is, but like, are the ad, is the ad like situation any better than Hulu where you have like repeating stuff? I haven't actually watched anything long enough to like sit with the ads um, because I had already seen the first two seasons of AP Bio when they were on NBC. And then this I only watched through screeners. So I haven't watched anything where uh, I have to deal with the ads, but I think Ben, I think yeah, ben when I watched uh, Rear Window, it had ads for probably the first half of the movie or the first two thirds or something. And it did play the same ads over and over again, but I just muted it and like, you know, ran and got a drink or something during that. So yeah. it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Uh, you've been rewatching step by step, Brad. Yeah, so what, when I work at home, I like to throw on things in the background that I've already seen and stuff that I'm familiar with. So that I don't have to entirely pay attention to it. I can just have it on and occasionally I glance at it and, um, you know, so it's just, it's nice to have the background noise. And I was recently having a conversation with, uh, old sitcoms, uh, with my girlfriend and also some of my friends that I was playing video games with online. Uh, and I had thought about step-by-step Step and I had, I've, I've rewatched other shows that I used to watch as a kid, um, that were part of like the TGIF lineup on ABC, like Full House and Family Matters and Boy Meets World. But I haven't touch step by step since i was a kid and so i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna start watching it and <laughs> i've forgotten so many things uh about this show and it's it's so funny to see uh how much they wanted this show to like be a hit right away because they in the second episode they immediately have a crossover where steve urkel shows up to give it that family matter i remember boost. that um yeah and then and then i also completely forgot how super horny Suzanne Summers and Patrick Duffy are for each other this entire series. There are like 
four or five jokes in every episode of them making these like double entendres and references to wanting to, to go just have sex somewhere in the house, but like they can't because the kids are around. It's all just so many, just like sexual references where, where all they want to do is just bone each other. I, I I did not remember just how much they were all up in each other's business in every episode of the show. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's it's the quintessential cheesy you know sitcom from the '90s, um, and it's like it's it's. Very, obviously, it's very much a, a modern uh, Brady Bunch, and it, but but it has a little more edge to it. But I use edge in like the biggest quotation marks <laughs> since it's still a, a network sitcom from the '90s, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just such a such a silly show. <laughs> and uh, you've been watching Baywatch, but not the Baywatch with like Pamela Anderson. Yeah, so this is something that I found out about uh, because my girlfriend has a penchant for watching trashy dating shows uh on netflix they're just guilty pleasures for her. and she decided to try out this one called baywatch uh parental guidance where <laughs> what they do is and like they so they ha- so they have this couple who's like a, a fairly new uh couple and they so they follow them around on this like getaway that they have some uh, on some resort but what they the couple doesn't know is that one of their uh, groups of parents or like uh, relatives, something like that, are watching them as they are going out, like on their dates and vacationing with each other. There are like all these hidden cameras. And wait, wait, wait a second. That... So they don't know they were being filmed at all. They know that they're being filmed as far as like just following their date. I don't know what the extent to which is what they know about the dating okay. show that they're on, but they don't. But they don't know that they're being watched. So. It's pretty awkward because, like, they don't they don't know they're being watched, so like they're not shy about making you know uh, inappropriate like sexual remarks towards each other or being like honest about stuff and like being intimate with each other. And so the the entire so the entire show has this just really creepy feel to it because there are um, in the the room that they're staying in, there's like a big like wall size mirror that's double-sided so they can like see what they're doing there and then, the, and then on top of that there's the cameras and then while they're gone out doing something they go into their room and like snoop through their stuff to see if there are any weird things like in their their luggage and stuff like that it's just very invasive and just really creepy and un unfathomably trashy and so, like, even even my girlfriend, who, get, who gets, like, guilty pleasure from watching how silly these shows are, she was just like, this is giving me anxiety. Like, I can't even imagine being in this situation. It is so weird. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's it's a trip. I, I can't recommend this show to anybody because it's just... <laughs> wait, wait, is there a moment where they find out that all this had been happening? Oh, yeah. The, the, like, the last part of it is, like, they... They surprise the couple like, oh, look who's here. It's your your parents and your best friend or your, your you know, your parents and an ex-girlfriend that you're still friends with. And like they have conversations about their relationship and work through some of the, the issues that like they saw and talk about, you know, whether or not how they feel about the relationship or whether they see it, you know, going further and becoming, you know, a, a long term thing. And it's just... Oh my Yikes. god! I feel like I would just explode if I if I was confronted in that situation. That is, or just like shrink into oblivion. That sounds like a horror show. Brian. I, I just can't even imagine being the kind of parents that would want to participate right. in that and be like, "Oh yeah, I, I totally want to invade my kids' privacy and watch them on all these dates." I'm also wondering, like, 
how does this come about? Like, so they're probably casting a reality show where they're looking for like, you know, new people that are in new relationships. So those people go in an audition and then they have to like secretly contact their parents. I don't know. It just seems I'm I'm almost tempted to watch this, Brad, even though you say it's horrible. I'm I'm tempted to see how bad it is. Watch at your own risk. And this is called Baywatch. B- Baywatch. Bay- B-A-E watch parental guidance. And this is on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Okay, then. Uh, ben, what have you been watching? I watched this uh, really small movie that is on Amazon Prime Video right now called Get Duked! Exclamation point. And it's one of the worst titled movies that I can remember seeing. Uh, but it is a very, very fun Um, sort of indie slasher comedy. It reminded me of uh, Attack the Block meets Ready or Not. So if that sounds appealing to you, then definitely watch this movie. I'm not going to talk too much about it because I don't want to give away um, too much, but it's it's less than 90 minutes. So that should be a big selling point for a lot of people. I know if anytime I hear that, I get very excited. Um, And it's basically like the, the very, very basic premise is these guys these teenagers from Glasgow uh, go out into the Scottish Highlands to participate in um, basically this this program where they have to like essentially survive for a weekend kind of thing. And they uh, realize that they are being hunted out there by this like shadowy cabal of rich people. And uh, these guys are like, you know, hard, scrappy, you know, kids from the streets kind of thing. And one of them is a uh, is an aspiring rapper, and um, there, there's a lot of humor that comes from that. Um, and these guys basically are just like using this this time out in the the out in nature to like get high and and shirk all of their responsibilities. Um, but very quickly they realize that it's turning into like a survival situation because they're being hunted. So um, it's called Get Duked. It's very very funny. Uh, I I went into it very skeptical because I was like I, I don't know about movies like this. Um, but I ended up liking it a lot. So uh, if you're interested, that is streaming on Amazon Prime Video right now. I, I have a big question for you, Ben. Yes. Because nothing you said here seems like something that would convince you to go watch this show or this movie. Like what like sucked you in? Like what made you decide to watch this? I'm hesitant to say in case there are any PR people listening to this. But uh, uh, honestly, it was just that um, the the person uh, who was running the public relations campaign for this just kept emailing me about it. And <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? Okay. I am going to give this a shot. And, and I'm actually glad that I did. Cause most of the time I'm just like, no, sorry, I can't do it. I'm not interested, you know, whatever. But I was like right on the edge with, with my interest. You know, if I'm like straight up, not interested in something, I have no problem telling people. Um, but this one, I was sort of like, ah, maybe I'll try to get to it. And they had sent me a screener link, like right when I was trying to move from, from LA to Florida. And then uh, they were like, did you get a chance to watch it? And so I sort of felt bad because I was like going to try to and then the move happened. And anyway, it, it all uh, it all worked out for for everyone's benefit because I ended up <laughs> enjoying the movie. So it's called Get Duked, uh, which is a terrible title. It used to be called Boys in the Wood, uh, which is a, a riff, obviously, on Boys in the Hood. And I wish they would have kept that title because that one makes a lot more sense. Um but uh, yeah, get duked. <laughs> anyway, check it out. I, I think it, it's sort of. I think it won like a, a midnight prize at South by Southwest. Um, so uh, it definitely has that like midnight movie sort of raucous uh, comedy vibe to it. So um, I think a lot of people. I, I think Chris, you would probably get a kick out of this too. So uh, okay, and then also I rewatched Moonrise Kingdom. So um, several years ago, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in LA had. Um, 
basically like a was it, an auction uh, of sorts. They were selling things um, that you know their famous alumni had donated. And it was all raising money for charity and stuff like that. And um, my wife and I went over to the uh, to the the building, the theater, and got a couple things. And one of the things we picked up was uh, Ben Schwartz's DVD copy of Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> um, we, I think we bought it for like two dollars or something. And and we're just like looking for cool stuff. Um, I think we bought like a Sarah Silverman's copy of Grapes of Wrath and like just like totally random um, things. But uh, I, I just like the idea of being like, oh yeah, this this random thing in my house that used to belong to this weird famous person. So um, anyway, wait, do Moon these Rise- items have like a like a like a sticker on it that's yeah, like yeah, pretty of sticker. Sarah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, there's a it was. Basically, that's how you knew who it belonged to when you were sort of like sifting through the shelves at UCB. It was like, you know, this item cost this much and it used to belong to this person. So <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we, my wife and I, you know, we, we were looking for something sort of summery and, and with that outdoors vibe. And uh, Moonrise Kingdom came up as, as a movie that I don't think either of, of us had seen since theaters. Um, but I remember both of us really liking it. And uh, we both still really like it. It's it's such a cute little nice movie. Like HT was talking about nice core earlier. It's sort of, I feel like Moonrise Kingdom sort of fits in that um, in that realm. It's like this, you know, super innocent, like childhood romance. Um, and I, I feel like the uh, cinematography and the color scheme and all that kind of stuff, the, the palette, the pastel colors and everything are, are very, um, I don't know, it, it's just a really sweet movie and, and uh really a nice movie to watch and it's also funnier than i remember there are a lot of like edward norton i think is is a uh, plays a character that i i um did not remember being as funny as he was in this movie so uh, i think there's a lot to like about this one and i'm sure you know most of our listeners have probably seen this already so i don't need to continue to go on about it but i, I would recommend rewatching moonrise kingdom especially right now like ht was talking about the you know this this era and like how villain <laughs> villain's head is sort of like a salve to that i feel like moonrise kingdom falls in that same um, category as well yeah i feel like we need a playlist of movies to, to watch in 2020 to get us out of this rut yeah um Okay, HD. Besides Bill and Ted, face the music. What else have you been watching? Uh, speaking of movies that aren't nice, <laughs> I watched Peninsula, which is the follow-up to Train to Busan, also directed by um, Yan. Oh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, Yan Sang Ho, and um, it's. I actually enjoyed this more than the general consensus uh, about this film. This is the, uh, not a sequel, as they kept saying in all the press for Peninsula uh, to Train to Busan. It follows a different group of people about four years after the events of Train to Busan, after this zombie plague broke out and took basically overcame the entire South uh, Korean Peninsula and uh, rendered it a wasteland so this follows a former soldier who is uh hired by a group of gangsters to recover a truckload of money that has been left in uh seoul in in south korea and uh if they are able to take this to get this truck and get it back across to hong kong they will be able to take half that money and live um outside of their sad refugee status so this is basically a movie in which uh director yan sung ho was um was like what if i made a zombie movie but like mad max fury road and it kind of lives up to that vision it's definitely this big 
outsized apocalyptic movie that uh, kind of does shed some of that emotional um, drive that made Train to Busan such a success. Um, but it's still, it's still, it's still pretty fun to watch. Like there's a a big like gladiator scene with a bunch of um, zombies that are tied together in like this kind of rat king type of formation and all these people who are found in the wild called wild dogs um these stragglers are sent to like try to survive in this gladiator ring and it's big and it's garish and it's gaudy and it's you know exactly what you kind of expect in an apocalyptic type of mad max style um almost exploitation style film and uh it's nothing new or groundbreaking but i kind of enjoyed it for how just in, insane it was and um yeah it doesn't have the appeal that train to busan has and it does kind of um despite it hitting a lot of melodramatic beats um it kind of it doesn't really nail it as well as train to busan did but it's it's an enjoyable film and this is um peninsula it's fil- it's uh showing in select theaters as well as on vod okay let's move on to what we've been eating uh, this past week, I actually went twice to this event at Knott's Berry Farm. They have this event called Taste of Knott's where they open up their theme park. Before, for the, the Taste of Calico, they opened up uh, Ghost Town, which is just a little small section of that theme park. This time, they've opened up almost the entire theme park, uh, except for the rides, obviously, because California, uh, Southern California is still uh, – actually – I think California as a whole is not allowing theme parks to reopen. Uh, And they have it's like a food fest. So they have 35 different food items around. You you go in, you pay 30 bucks, you get a tasting card where you can get five different items. Honestly, it's it's hard to like eat it all. Like we I think left with Kitra and I having one extra tab that we didn't use. So like the the food items are big. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the videos. If you want to go check those out, uh, it's a fun time to just like get out of the house and uh, it feels very safe. Everybody's wearing the masks, everybody's social distancing. And it feels like uh, at least for someone like me who used to go to a lot of theme parks, it feels good to have some kind of sense of normalcy, <laughs> like just like uh, being out and uh, just being able to like, just hang out in like a themed environment and eat, good food and stuff like that you didn't have to cook um but anyways i wanted to mention here one thing i did eat that was kind of crazy they had this they were uh, selling these uh slices of pizza which is a mac and cheese pizza so this is like a pizza that basically just instead of cheese it has like actually mac and cheese a layer of mac and cheese on it um brad have you ever tried anything like mac and cheese pizza because I, i feel like if anybody here had has tried something like that you might have i have but i don't remember where i had it honestly um i want to say that it was at um yeah maybe there's this but there was this place in um in college near purdue and lafayette called cc's pizza I yeah think. it was like a pizza buffet kind of place i think that's where i had it yeah because a lot of people responded to our video saying that they've had this at cc's which i didn't even know what cc's was i don't think there's any around me um yeah i think it's just it's i think it's a like a midwest regional uh pizza buffet i grew chain. up uh in florida and there was a there was a cc's in my hometown but i think it has long oh, been uh <laughs> it's like wiped out I, I think there were rumors about 
um, like kids who worked there, like put, you know, something awful in the dough or something and maybe got <laughs> shut down. Like, I don't remember. It was, it's one of those local urban legends, you know, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but anyway. Uh, um, I, I will say this. I expected this thing to be just like, you know, a food item for kids, like just a fun food item that wasn't actually good. I'm not going to say it was great. I, I give it like a three out of five, but um, it it was surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it, Disney California Adventure, there's sometimes I'll get uh, over in the San Francisco Wharf section. They have the, these bread bowls from Boudin, which are really good. And usually you get soup in there, but there's a Disney hack where you can actually get mac and cheese in your bread bowl. And uh, surprisingly, this kind of reminded me of that because uh, you're basically eating at the at the end of the bread bowl. I would be, you know, taking pieces of bread with mac and cheese on top of it and eating it. So it, it tastes a little bit like that. Anyways, uh, Taste of Knots is going on for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, you can find out more information about that on Knots.com and you can see our videos of us going there and get, get a sense of how it is and if you if you personally feel uh, safe enough to go there, uh, you can watch our videos. I'll link those in the show notes. Uh, but Brad, actually, before you tell us what you what, what you've been eating, what do you think of mac and cheese pizza? Um, I like I liked it. You know, for what it was, it's um, it's very heavy though because obviously you're having pasta on top of bread. Um, so it's it's not like the obviously the healthiest thing that you can eat, but it was pretty good considering you know it was just a, a you know a pizza buffet that that was making it. <laughs> I would like to tr- try like you know a more quote unquote gourmet version of mac and cheese pizza at some point just to see how good it can be. But but yeah, I mean you know uh, you can't go wrong with it's uh, pizza and mac and cheese, two two of the greatest things coming together. You, you know another thing I love, I think I've mentioned it previously on this podcast, but I love this thing. There's this chain on the East Coast called Uno and they have this appetizer called the pizza skins which is like this deep dish pizza but it's potato skins with pizza but it's a deep dish pizza and it has mashed potatoes and cheese and bacon on top and uh it it is fantastic or at least i love it and uh somehow i found fell down a wall well because of uh you know, this mac and cheese pizza so somehow i saw someone mention that there's like this thing called a a baked potato pizza at a place called Augie's, O-G-G-I-S. And uh, there's some Augie's that are not near me, but like on the way to like Vegas. And now I'm thinking like maybe on the way to Vegas, I can stop and try this baked potato pizza. I don't know. Sounds like a job for ordinary adventures. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, Brad, uh, what have you been eating? Uh, so there is a, a a new Mountain Dew Spark, and uh, I, have I talked about this before? I couldn't remember if I did. I, I vaguely remember you mentioning this. Maybe I did. I don't. Did I remember <laughs> mentioning it last week? I I don't know. I'll do it quick just in case I did. Mountain Dew Spark, new Mountain Dew flavor, great for summer. It's raspberry lemonade. It's a pink color. You can only get it at Speedway. I actually went out of my way like to drive 20 minutes to a speedway that had it nearby because none of the ones in my immediate area uh, had it in stock yet. Um, and I'm glad that I did because it's still not here and it's good enough that I'm, j- I'm just glad that I was able to get a hold of a few bottles to try it and have some extra for the rest of the summer because it's really good. Um, and I hope that it's one of those flavors that maybe sticks around uh, and might become a permanent one because it would be really good if it did. So that's that. Um, I also tried another new drink. I've been trying to find like energy drinks that aren't super sugary, but still have a good amount of like caffeine in them and give me like an extra boost in the middle of the day. 
Um, I like the Monster uh, Ultras because they're zero sugar and they're um, they they taste pretty good and they're low calories. There's only like ten calories in them. And uh, my girlfriend and I just recently tried uh, this new sparkling ice plus caffeine. Um, you got you might have seen like the regular sparkling ice drinks that come in these little like skinny bottles, um, and they're pretty good. I don't I don't think that they're great i think some of the flavors are a little more bland than i would prefer but they're about as good as you can get for a drink that doesn't have uh any sugar in it uh, and is low in calories and this one has the added benefit of having caffeine in it you know which is great for someone like me who wants a good energy drink and these uh, i think actually taste better than the regular sparkling ice drinks I don't, I don't know if the flavors are better or what um, but they have like triple citrus and orange passion fruit and uh, strawberry and blue raspberry and stuff like that. And they're, they're very, very good. They, they taste like, uh, like a flavored, um, Sprite wood, not quite as sweet. And it doesn't taste as bad as what, how I think diet soda normally tastes, which is a bonus because I can't stand diet soda. Most of the time there are maybe like one or two diet sodas that I think actually taste good. And the rest of them just, I, I absolutely hate. So uh, yeah, if you're looking for like a good drink um, that gives you know gives you a little bit of extra caffeine in the middle of the day, sparkling ice is it's really good, and it comes in a in a big can just like the Monster Energy drinks too. So that's uh, that's a bonus. I, I hate to ask you this, but have you tried any of the Coca Cola Energy drinks yet? I have not. I have, and they're they're good, but the problem with those is that they they have a bunch of sugar in them because it's it's basically regular Coke. I think that they have they do have a Diet Coke version. They have a zero I think, version. Yeah, zero, the zero version. Yeah, um, and I'm not the biggest fan of Coke Zero, so that's that was kind of a um, a downside for me. Okay, what else? Um, I got a hold of uh, some new a new candy that's Nerds Gummy Clusters. So they've basically taken uh, the tiny version of Nerds and put them all over these little um, gummy snack like uh, balls. So it's it's basically like a uh, like, like if you had a gummy bear that's covered in nerds essentially, and these are really really good because I I've always liked nerds since I was a kid, but I don't always go out of my way to get them because it's the kind of candy that if you bite and you crunch down on them, they easily get stuck in your teeth, and um, I think because of the gummy that is between the nerds with this one, they don't they don't easily as easily get stuck in your teeth because you're crunching them, but you're crunching them into the gummy at the same time. And so it, the gummy keeps those pieces from like sticking to your teeth as much. Um, and it also just adds an extra, you know, flavor to it because you have this great mix of like the, the nerds, you know, um, candy flavor and the, the gummy that's inside of them. So yeah, the, these are really good. I like, it's the kind of thing that I would love to take um, and have at the, uh, at the movies. Have you, how does this compare against like the big chewy nerds? Like they usually are out around like, like uh, I think like Easter yeah, yeah, I, I've had those, and these are I think are better because they because it's actual nerds, and it it tastes more like you um you know you expect it to ta- to taste because you know what nerds are supposed to taste like, and the gummy nerds have always felt a little off to me as far as having that same flavor. Okay, uh, candy has yeah. really evolved. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I haven't had candy in so long. Like, what what are these new forms they've taken? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're, they they really have been doing, like, crazy things with, like, how they're just, like, doing new versions of all the candy and stuff. It's it's fun. Um, speaking of which, for Halloween, there's a new Hershey's Kiss uh, flavor that they're, they're called um, Vampire Kisses. The, and it's the milk chocolate kiss, but inside it has this, like, blood red strawberry cream filling. 
Um, and the strawberry cream filling is a little more artificial than I'd hoped. I was hoping that it would be something that tastes more like chocolate covered strawberries. Um, but it's, it's not quite as, as good of a, a strawberry mixture that's, that's inside of it. They're still, they're still pretty tasty. Um, and the, it's fun. Like the, I was surprised at how real red, uh, the cream was on the inside, but they're, uh, they're not bad. They're, they're pretty good. And then, uh, you guys don't have Culver's on the, the West coast. Do you I don't think so? Yeah. So there's this chain of restaurants here, and it's I, I I think it's on the East Coast as well. I don't think it's just limited to the Midwest, but it's called Culver's. Um, it's like uh, it's a it's a, a fast food place, but it also has they have a dine in area, and it's a little more higher quality than your usual fast food. I would put it on par with something like a Five Guys. Um, and so they have these new pretzel bites there that are freaking amazing. Uh, I was surprised by how good they were because it's like you think a place like this probably wouldn't have really good pretzel bites, but these pretzel bites were better than I've had like in certain bars where they have really good appetizers. They're like they're they look like little buckeyes and they're cooked in such a way that they're they're crispy on the outside without being like burnt or like super crunchy and they're extremely soft on the inside. And Culver's also has this uh, incredible cheddar cheese sauce to dip them in that they come with. And they're they're fantastic. They're, they they are like among the best pretzel bites that I have ever had. So if you live in an area with Culver's, you should definitely go try them out. Okay, cool. And let's move on to what we've been playing. And Brad, you're the only one that's been playing anything. It's all me. I'll, I'll be quick. Um, I I talked about last time how I got a Nintendo Switch, and I finally um, played some Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, I, I I've loved all the different iterations of Super Smash Brothers uh, for a long time, and most of the time when I've played, I've played with friends who have had the game uh, and they've already unlocked all the characters. So I've never had to work for to play with any of them. But this time, since it's my game, um, I have to play and unlock all of the characters so that I can have the most fun possible. So I've been working my way through that. And I just I always have a lot of fun with this game. You know, it's just the, the, there's so many levels. Uh, obviously, the roster of characters gets bigger as you go along. I love the various items that make the combat more fun because there's just so many random things drop that you can use uh, during the gameplay. And yeah, I just, I'll, I'll never get sick of these games, even though like it's they've it's basically been the same gameplay forever. <laughs> it's just more more advanced levels and new characters and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving that for the Switch so far. And then uh, I tried out the beta for Marvel's Avengers, which is the new uh, console game that's coming out on PlayStation four and xbox one uh next week it's it seemed like it might be a good successor to the spider-man playstation game they don't take place in the same universe or anything like that they're not it's not from the same creators um and it's i i liked parts of it um because i didn't have a like a bad time playing or anything but it just it doesn't feel nearly as sleek as the spider-man game the controls felt kind of clunky and the gameplay was more repetitive and less engaging than I was anticipating. You get you get to play as all the different Avengers, you know, Hulk, Black Widow, Thor, Iron Man, um, and but the, but they all look like they're like cause like not quite the Avengers. They look like cosplay people playing the Avengers. Yeah, so it, it takes some getting used to because it's it's a completely different character design. They they obviously they're not using any of the character designs from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's its own thing. And so there are some, you know, odd aesthetic choices as far as their their costumes and stuff are, are concerned. And the voice actors are a little bit cheesy. 
Um, but I, I was hoping that the gameplay would, would still be fun. And there, there are aspects to it that I enjoyed, but a, a lot of it just feels like mindless button mashing as opposed to and there being any real skill involved. There were some cool moments uh, in the opening part of the game that sets, sets up the, the, the larger story that's at play. It uh, takes place on this big thing called A-Day where they're celebrating the... Uh, um, there's a, a big, like supposed to be this big celebration, but then it, there's a, a huge attack and it goes horribly awry and a lot of people uh, get hurt and killed. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think I'm going to wait to buy this game if I do until it gets a lot cheaper because it just felt too clunky and repetitive to me to go out of my way to get it and pay 60 bucks for it right now. Okay. That does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday. Guys, there's no joke. Peter, uh, uh, hey, Peter. Hey, uh, Peter. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. 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 What is going on here? Peter, um, like, I uh, I actually just got a, a text from from Jacob. I um, got one too, so I think yeah, uh, he's, he's having a oh, lot of fun right now. Oh, wow! I also I also have a text from Jacob. So Jesus we, Christ. we all have texts from Jacob regarding the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery by Louis A. Safian. This is Jacob's masterstroke, by the way, getting all of us individually to read these. So this means I think that we can only we all have to just. Read one insult for Peter each. None of us get yeah. insulted. Yeah, none of us. We all have to insult Peter. And uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. And uh, I, I'm reading from the nudists section. Great. <laughs> 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 uh, hold on, I'm trying to find a good one here. Hold on. <laughs> well, if you're going to try to find a good one, you're, we're going to be here all day. I know. Give me a few hours, and I'll get back. <laughs> That's my joke from. <clears throat> Peter joined the nudist colony because he was anxious to see life in the raw. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. Uh, well, mine. Go ahead, oh, okay, go ahead, Dave. You got, you got it. You got it. Okay. I'll go next. And this is from a section called Egotists. Peter brags that he's sitting on top of the world. Someone should remind him that it turns every 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but but it turns like up. Oh, HT, you have uh, to read it again. You know what that means? No, no, HT, no, 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 read no, it again. No. So Peter can understand. Yeah. It. Up to. Hold on. <laughs> I, I, I'm, just ima- I'm just imagining a globe. You know, it turns like sideways. So I, I would still be on Peter top of the world. Rags that he's sitting on top of the world. Someone <laughs> and it turns every 24 hours. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh. I've got um, uh, one from the tightwads section of the book. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Peter's never taken up hunting because he can't find a store that sells used bullets. Wow. <laughs> Wait, I don't. I don't. Well, I got it. I got it. You, Peter we can move hasn't on. taken up hunting. We can move on. I get it. Because he can't find a store that sells used bullets. <laughs> Good one, Brad. Good one. Uh, All right. And then mine is from the boozers section. Uh, You know what they say about old Peter? He's handsome after a fashion. After a couple of old fashions. 
Oh, oh he got you. It sounds like you're the one that's boozing here, Ben. Not me. Hey, true. You have to get drunk to tell to make that joke work. Okay. Well, I don't know how how Jacob infiltrated the end of this podcast, even though he's not on it. But uh This is your birthday present, Jacob. No. <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys on Monday.